This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm Jenny. I'm Tamahome. And I'm Paul. And we're talking new releases and recent arrivals. Yay. Hooray. Oh, yeah, new books. We're, we're happy to have Tam back on. It's been a while since you've been on. Yeah, hi, Tam. Hi. Uh, Murakami, uh, Jenny says we've got eight. Is this eight? No, not ten? Ten. Mur- ten. Random House Mur- has had a lot of Murakami lately. Do they all have cats? Hmm. <laughs> it's a trick to try to find that out. I, I've not read any Murakami, I don't think. Um, Seriously? This, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's all in translation, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so what's the what's the scoop on Murakami? Oh God. How, Haruki. <laughs> um, I guess a little bit magical realism, only set in Japan, and so the characters go about their lives, and then strange things happen some of the time. Some of the time, it's more just a story that doesn't have any of those elements in there. Okay. But he plays around with different themes, like Kafka on the Shore, which is the one that I listened to recently, has a lot of, well, you know. Kafka. <laughs> I hate that word so much. But um, it, it's hard yeah. It's hard to really talk about. Surreal? Surreal yeah, is lots that of surrealism, but it's really hard to talk about all of them as one group because they're not all the same. And that's part of what I like about Murakami is that I can, um, you never really quite know what to expect. Although, I read Kafka on the Shore after I'd read 1Q84, and there's a lot of similarities between those two, and I almost think I would have appreciated 1Q84 more if I'd read Kafka on the Shore first. Well, it looks like pretty much everything he's written as a novel length is out as an audiobook. It's very unusual. I mean, this guy started in 1979, it says, and it He's still publishing uh, new books. There's a new one coming in 2014. And there is um, a few that aren't on this list that must be done by other publishers or something, like 1Q84 I know is in audio. Mm -hmm. Um, But these have been great. Uh, The one I listened to had two different readers, and it really moved the story along. Was that uh, not Capcom the Shore, but the Wind Up Bird Chronicle, I've heard something about that. I think we've talked about that on the podcast before. Yeah, and I think a lot of times people recommend that one as a starter one for Mirakami. You kind of get you know, introduced to him without being as long as some of the others, although it's mm. still pretty long. Hmm. Isn't he like a bestseller in Japan? Maybe oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so I think they've been going back and translating even more there's tons of reviews for each like each there's blurbs upon blurb upon blurb for these so somebody loves this stuff Mm -hmm. um so do we have reviewers for most of it or is it just languishing no we do um and i actually have some in the list that i just need to get posted that people have already listened to even so but these were all great i haven't heard any complaints about any of them nice yeah it's a great set the, the the books well, look really nice too. Like I saw one Q eight four in the store. It's it's really nice looking. Yeah, I think that one may have been up for a design award. Um, it's done by what's his name, Chip Kid. 
Mm. He does a lot of the really fancy book designs, and and the outside of it has that rice paper. Right. It's really unique. Mm -hmm. It's neat. I actually bought it to put it on my shelf because it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You can walk on the rice paper to practice your kung fu. (laughs) It would be practice indeed. It wouldn't be that big of a square. (laughs) It wouldn't be much of a walk. (laughs) Well, um, I wanted to talk about this other book I've got that I... I haven't been talking about for some reason. I think it got buried. Um, and I think uh, uh, Julie uh, Davis was uh, reading a first in this series. This is called a Requiem by Ken Scholes, um, the fourth in the volume of the Psalms of Isaac. And uh, I don't know much about it other than it is a sequel to um, a future, uh, sorry, an epic fantasy post-apocalyptic uh, series it and it's got like a dude with a uh, magic staff on the cover. That is actually a spoiler, Jesse. Is it? The, the first book doesn't make it clear that this is Earth in the future. You, you, uh-huh. you, because I've read the first. You, you, you eventually start figuring it out like, kind of like um, another series which I shouldn't spoil. It's like, oh crap! The steel remains. You mean? <laughs> uh, 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 Actually, I was thinking of another, but yeah, he's like, oh, crap, this is the future. That's a reveal. Yeah. But I guess by the time you reach book three, I guess that spoilers won't come out of the door. Okay. Would Gene Wolfe well, be the right author? on the back of the book. <laughs> What's that? Would Gene Wolfe be the author? Uh, it's Ken Schultz. No, I mean, of the other book. That- oh, oh no. I see. Nope. Okay. Oh, what's the one, the other one? Mark Lawrence. <laughs> I don't know that one. Uh, what was your book? You've got a paper book. I as do well. have a paper book, which which is odd because usually I get books from other things. I got Happy Hour in Hell by Tad Williams, which is a sequel to, which is his second Bobby Dollar Dollar novel, which is his, yeah, that that that, which is, which is the sequel to The Dirty Streets of Heaven. It's urban fantasy, which is a new turn for him. It involves an angel whose name is. Uh, Bobby Dollar, that's his, that's his human name actually, but his rip, his angel name is Deloreal. In the, in the first book, he starts tangling with a demoness and they have, I guess, a relationship. And in the second book, he goes to save her from, well, hell. Yeah. I have, I have the first one on my Kindle. I haven't read it yet. It, what makes it an urban fantasy? Because it's mainly set, this one, this one is not, but the first one is, is set in I think it's in San Francisco on Earth, so okay. it's it's most it's mostly grounded in in the mortal world versus heaven or hell. This one this one looks like it's he's going straight into hell. So is it still an urban fantasy? That's a or is it, yeah, I think it, I think the urban part is sort of you know because there, there's a lot of stuff that I would call urban fantasy that's set like in a small town or something. Well, well it's more the tone of it. it it's yeah. very much the like noir detectivey kind of tone. Yeah. yeah, and he is, go- he is going right. to a to a city in hell, pandemonium. So does that so make does that make Herbert fantasy again? Because he's got a <laughs> he's going to a city in hell. Yeah, well, uh, Lankmar stories are all urban fantasy by that logic, right? And I, I wouldn't say I, they are. I've heard that argument. I don't agree with that argument, but I've heard that yeah. argument. I think it is. I think it's it's about tone and uh, yeah, that yeah. that gritty noir detective-y tone. Yeah, I guess is what makes it urban fantasy, and what it, will make this one too. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but see, even the even the term noir is is totally, you know, it, it doesn't mean what it means either. Because when everybody says noir, what they mean is hard boiled. Yes. Right? And <laughs> so these terms like uh, cyberpunk. There's no punks. There's no cyber, <laughs> but it's still cyberpunk. <laughs> steampunk. There's no steam. There's no punks, but it's still steampunk. It's interesting. We read that the first book in that series um, in the Sword and Laser group, and it was interesting to see the reactions from people who consider themselves Tad Williams fans. I think some people really loved it, and other people were like, what is he doing? <laughs> it was just well, such is, a difference from his other work. What is his other... St- I've not read any Tad Williams. What's it, the rest of it like? Oh, I mean, he's written fantasy and science fiction um, but the fantasy, I think, before was pretty traditional. Yeah, but yeah, I, fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, Memory, Sorrow, Thorn, the big, big, thick, epic fantasy. Right. I think the last book had to be split into two volumes for publication. It was so large. Hmm. And, and that's then kind have, of what he's known for. Yeah, and then you have The Otherland, which is science fiction, although the, the MMOs that people go into are often fantastic. Right. <laughs> I think I heard Luke talking about yeah. Otherland and... I, uh, yeah, I, I, sounded cool. I read, I read those. Those were, those, those were pretty good. I, I think, I think he lost the thread a bit in the last one, but they're, 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 they're well worth the read. So yeah, so for him to switch from all that to urban fantasy is kind of a head scratcher. But I guess that's what he wanted. This is the story he wanted to write. Yeah, hmm. it's his life. Yep. <laughs> it's funny because I have Otherland on my Kindle app, but I haven't read it yet either. <laughs> someday I will. Wasn't his first book about cats or something? Tail Chaser's Song, yes. So he's that changed his tune before. Yeah. Hello. And he Dude. should be able to. Yeah. Come on, publishers, give him a break. Well, <laughs> I, 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 just, I just worry, and now, now, now we're going down a route, but I just worry of the Walter John Williams effect. If you change your tune too many times... You never establish a brand, and people don't really recognize who and what you are. Because he's written Walter John Williams has written all these different kinds of books, all different subgenres, and mm-hmm. he can't seem to catch a break. You know, that reminds me of another author. Um, I'm make a little segue <laughs> to Margaret Atwood. All right, you know, hey. she she writes in two completely different genres, although she may not <clears throat> see herself that way. Um, and I just sometimes she writes science fiction. Yeah, sometimes she really does, even though she doesn't really like to be labeled in that category. And I just finished listening to Mad Adam, which just came out. Um, is that the third September part of that 3rd. series that starts with Orcs and Crates? It is. It's the Mad Adam trilogy, so it's the final book. And I've been just waiting for this let's, book. let's just get this straight. <laughs> She's writing about genetic engineering in the future on Earth. It's a trilogy, and it's not science fiction. Got it. (laughs) Well, to be fair, it's mostly dystopian, and not all dystopian is always called science fiction. So I can kind of see where she's going. Um, There was 1984, 1985, and 1986. Now I remember. That's right. Okay, but can we talk about these books for a little bit? Because (laughs) I love these books. They're some of my favorites. And we have an upcoming read-along of Oryx and Crake, because I finally talked enough people into doing it. Um, And Oryx and Crake is a little more serious, right? It sets up this dystopian story where there's this new breed of... I don't want to call them human exactly. They're not really human. They're not not human. And then, yes, okay, let's do quasi-human. There there we go. And so you 
are left with some questions in that first novel, I think, at least I was. And then the second novel, The Year of the Flood, is more of a parallel story. It fills in some of the gaps. You get introduced to this wacky group called God's Gardeners. You learn more about the weird creatures that are running around that are, you know, results of genetic engineering, like the pigoons and the uh, mohairs, which grow human hair. <laughs> what is a pigoon? Uh, a pigoon... Um, half raccoon, half pig. Yeah, all I these think. animals were created so that they could make more food at once. But the pigoons have um, more human genetics, so they think like humans. And so there's always these questions of should they be killing them, you know. Anyway, so then this third book, I didn't know. I thought it was going to be another parallel story, but it actually is after those two stories. So it continues the story a little more into the future. Um, but the audio version is really incredible uh, because there are three readers and one of them doesn't show up till almost at the end, but it makes a lot of sense why within the story. Um, so that was a nice little treat, I think. And uh, part of the story, there's this character named Toby and she worked at the A New You Spa, in, which is a really important part of the second book, The Earth Flood. And she goes into storytelling mode to the Krakers, which is that quasi-human group. And so all of a sudden you get wrapped up into this story where she's telling the mythology of Adam and Zeb and all these people that happened before um, that to the Krakers are, you know, kind of like mythology. So it's really it's really neat in audio. I'm going to read it again in hardback because this is one of the few books that I actually pre-ordered for myself. So and this just came out to like this week or something, right? Yep. And I'm already done with it. So it was really great. I was really happy. Highly recommended. <laughs> and you listen to two speed, right? Yeah. I mean, I always do. Huh. Hmm. Cause your brain works that fast. Yeah. Well, I think you can really get used to it. I, I mean, it, 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 if you ever go down, you gear down, you say, God, this guy's slow. Right. You totally can get used to it, but I think sometimes you need to slow down because the the narrator might speak a quickly or something. You know, I used to do competitive debate in high school, <laughs> and uh, we had a similar experience where everyone would talk super fast to get all their points in because you were limited by time constraints. Mm -hmm. I think it's similar. <laughs> Makes sense. Maybe where I got used to it. <laughs> Operating at two times speed. It's essential. That's, that's, uh, so, we should all talk uh, there's, there's also this, um, this review. No, no, it's not a review. A preview of a review of, uh, Dr. Sleep, which is the first on our official list of, of things by Margaret Atwood. Now, I didn't get through this entire preview of the review, but it basically was, it sounded like an apology as to why she was doing a review of Stephen King. <laughs> Um, now, so it, let's let's clarify. The book Doctor Sleep is by Stephen King, right? Uh, Doctor Sleep is by Stephen King, and Margaret Atwood is is doing a review of. Oh, is it a sequel to The Shining? Yeah. I didn't know. Okay, yeah. well that's interesting. It takes one of the characters, like grown up, middle aged. Is it the kid okay. Tommy? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. No, no, guess no. It's Dan. The only one alive, oh. or <laughs> I don't know. Dan Torrance. Uh, but she she talks about how. Um, uh, th that she's always had a weakness for for uh, I, th I guess the gothic sort of hair, horror terror 
style books. And, um, and so I guess we're going to see a review of, of Dr. Sleep out shortly. This also, did it come out this week or am I hallucinating that as well? Um, if it's not out, it, we have a review copy of it for our reviewers. So it's, you know, looming. Cool. It's, it's, it, it seems much bigger than the first book. Uh, 18 hours, 35 minutes. Uh, I don't remember, um, the original being that long. Do you, do you recall? The paper version seemed pretty thick. Yeah. I mean, it, it might just be that Stephen King is allowed to write a lot more than he used to, but... Because he's Stephen King. Yeah, 15, yeah. Oh, 15 hours is the first one. 15? Okay, so well, it's not significantly longer. And it looks like it comes out on the 24th, so our viewer will have a happy preview. It's read by Will Patton, who's also really good. Uh, very, He's got a real quiet sort of voice to him. Mm. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard him, but he's like a movie actor who... He sort of plays the the calm dad or something. So that'll be interesting if there's some uh, uh, here's Johnny scenes in there to hear him do that. Oh, it comes so, out the 24th. Okay, so it's, it'll be out shortly. Yeah. So I re- so I've been looking at this article from Margaret out with it, and it is it's like, don't judge me because I like this sort of stuff. It it, it goes back to the whole I don't read science fiction. I'm not I'm not a science fiction writer. Don't label yeah. me as stuff. I like this stuff, but don't judge, don't judge me, people. Yeah. I, it's, it can be really good stuff. I, I don't know who she's writing this for. I mean, is there really that much of a stigma anymore? Or maybe there is in certain literary circles, but. I think, I think there is. I think there, I think that there is, and she's trying to have her cake and eat it too. She, she you know, I saw there was an article. Oh, I might even post a picture of it. Uh, with her on the cover of a uh, Canadian magazine that says Queen of the Nerds. And I'm like, okay. Uh, she's, apparently she's embracing some sort of identity now. I don't know. Um, but if you look inside, it, the reason she's a nerd is because she's on Twitter. Hmm. <laughs> Not because she writes science fiction or she uh. likes gothic horror. And you know, she responds. She responds to tweets. I've asked her a question about Oryx and Crake before and she responded to me, so it's not some kind of fake presence either. No, no, she's definitely on there. She's definitely on there. You know, I just think it's... you know, maybe you should get her on for the (laughs) read-along. Hey. (laughs) Tweet-along. I mean, it might be that uh, I think books just sell more in the fiction section than in the Science fiction ghetto, so to speak. Well, and she has a genuine reputation for her literary works, too. And she's also a poet, a very good one. So, you know, I'm just happy that she's still writing, that she didn't decide to retire. She's 73 years old. I just can't wait to see what she does next. You know... She can say it, whatever it, she wants. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it, it, it kind of reminds me of the the thing about Orson Scott Card. You know, like, d- does it matter that he that he hates gays? Uh, if his books are good, mm, I guess not. To me, it does. Right? But Margaret Atwood is just trying to protect how her work is she, labeled. She That's kind of a lesser. No, she does. She's she just doesn't write it. Right. She's written <laughs> yeah. an entire book about science fiction. Lots of my friends write science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't it's think it's the same. No, it's probably not the same. All right. So that was in the topic we called horror. Now we we move on to dystopia and destruction. Yes. And there's a lot of books in this category this Good. month, and partly because we have a new publisher 
that um, sent us a few books for review um, mm-hmm. that I think we need to talk about, um, Dreamscape audiobooks. I'm very excited to talk about all uh, three of the ones that you put here yes. under um, that. Although um, I think you might think that the fourth one might belong there too. Yes, but I put it in the other category because I okay, have a lot fine. of books in there. That's fine. Um, but so the three books under Dystopia, The Scarlet Plague by Jack London, The Nightland by William Hope Hodgson, and Goslings by J.D. Beresford um, all come from Dreamscape audiobooks. Now, how did you hear about this? Um... I was actually talking with one of our reviewers, uh, Seth, um, about new releases and I spotted the Nightlands on Audible and I'm like, holy crap, the Nightlands is on Audible. Nightlands is one I've been trying to get somebody to record for a long time because, mm. um, I, I, we did a read along on, uh, one of the earlier books or not earlier, one of the shorter novels by William Hope Hodgson. And I thought it was one of the best novels I'd ever read. So I was very excited to talk about uh, the possibility of hearing the Nightlands. And everybody was saying it's a very daunting book. It's it's big. Um, let's see what the hours are on this. It's very, it's very, it's nine, 18 hours, three minutes. So I guess it's not as big as some, but <laughs> um, it's it's big and it's ambitious. It's set way in the future. Um, everybody lives underground. Um, there's a, a bunch of different mutated humans or something, but William Hope Hodgson is an amazing writer and he's got really cool ideas and he's, he is kind of horror actually, or Lovecraftian in a certain kind of sense, although he's, he's really before Lovecraft. So I'm very excited about this one, but I actually have not heard any of it. I have heard some of the Goslings and, um, the Scarlet Plague. Yeah, and the Scarlet Plague is a short one. It was just too. It's really two nice. Hours. I'm happy to do that. I, I've heard it before, but you know, in in context, we just did um, the uh, Jack London novel, uh, The Iron Heel, yeah. and when I read the Scarlet Plague the first time, I hadn't read The Iron Heel, um, but I had read um, Earth Abides, and the Scarlet Plague is basically the same story as Earth Abides, except it came first. Hmm. And and I I had forgotten that the Scarlet Plague is all about class as well. Hmm. Um, unlike Earth Abides, which is a very sort of mainstream American, um, <laughs> is there a mainstream American post-apocalyptic story? Earth, um, Earth Abides. Earth Abides. Yeah, and Alas Babylon might count. <laughs> oh, I haven't read that. I wanna I wanna read that. But uh, Scarlet Plague is it's told actually in reverse. So the, there's the an old man, uh, no teeth, and he's with his grandchildren who think he's a fool, um, and he tells them the story of how they ended up in their situation, where you know this literature professor um, has fallen so far that you know he's dependent upon his grandchildren not to tease him and make fun of him, but uh, the the uh, society uh, has been taken over by the low classes. So like there's the chauffeur tribe, right? And the chauffeur tribe doesn't care about writing or stories or technology. They only care about food and sex and stuff like that. So it's a very class-based book, which I I didn't remember from the first read. And the reader's really good. Drew Ariana is the name of the reader. 
but I, I'm very, I'm much more excited about Goslings because I'd never heard of this book before. Um, I started reading it or listening to it and, um, I'm like, oh, this is, this is, sounds really interesting. And then I'm like, oh, Jenny's going to love this because it's, there's like all this talk about plagues, <laughs> like <laughs> plagues in China. Hmm. Oh, they, are they spreading to Russia? Hmm. Oh, oh they're in Berlin. Right. <laughs> and it, unlike, um, a lot of plagues, this one sounds a, a little bit more like the children of men, except it doesn't uh, affect sterility. It affects, um, it affects men only. So it's actually more like why the last man. Hmm. At least so far. And um, what's really, really cool about it is um, it's from 1913. I, I was re- I was listening to it. And I said, this is sounds really good. I guess it's probably from the 50s. I've never heard of it. And you can't really tell that it's from 1913, except a little bit of the newspaper, the the uh, how the newspaper system was working. It, it seems a little more old fashioned, a little more less less world war ii era newspaper as a little earlier so it's really cool so far and there's a a couple of uh characters who we think we're you know (laughs) gonna know what's gonna happen to them but i'm thinking this might make a good read-along it's a very interesting book really well written Hmm. jd beresford i'd never heard of the author before never heard of the book before no i'm excited for it i'm i think i'm gonna Mm -hmm. listen to this one next yeah, I think you're going to really like it. Now, I also wanted to point out that this this uh, set of books from Dreamscape, although um, I'm not sure about the fourth one, uh, these three are all, um, they're actually uh, sub-licensed, which is kind of weird because they're public domain books, but they're sub-licensed from uh, a publisher called Low Books, who I'd heard quite a bit about. They make e-books out of um, what they call quote unquote, radium age science fiction, which is science fiction from the beginning of the 20th century to about the 1930s. And what they do is they go and they find old science fiction that's been forgotten, uh, scan it, um, do all the corrections and uh, publish it in a nice new format with introductions. Fun job. Yeah, it's it sounds really cool. I, he- I heard the publisher on Gweek uh, the podcast quite a bit and I've, I've been very excited because I, I knew they had done the Nightlands or the Nightland I guess it's called and uh, and the Scarlet Plague so I was I was I was like cool this one sounds like science fiction I'll take that I'm very excited about these books I guess you can talk now <laughs> sorry yeah, these the, the, these do seem to be early twentieth science. Such this is the kind of stuff that would have been, but it's not in volume two of the Road to Science Fiction, which I'll, yeah, I I see there is a Jack London story, but it's not this one. I think I read the Scarlet Plague, and I I know there was a Jack London science fiction collection I read years ago, and I mm-hmm. remember reading Scarlet Plague then, and I was really disturbed by the classes and the sometimes kind of sexism the 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 whole the very barbarism of the whole post-apocalyptic society and this poor professor who i identified with because yeah he's a literature professor yeah that's right? so like and he's just helpless in this new world and it's like we was really really discomforted by it in a good way i mean it's well written jack, yeah, jack yeah. london is brilliant but it's like ugh. it's actually a lot more readable than the iron heel too like the way the story is told I'm not sure which came first, but the way the story is told in the Scarlet Plague is all the um, 
this came and then this came and this came is all told in retrospect by an old man who who has these children who don't want to really hear the story but are kind of bored because there's no TV. So the, he 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 make there's a beautiful explanation right near the beginning of he's trying to explain to them numbers higher than ten because they you know they have no numeracy they have no uh, literacy so he he says okay. Um, you've got ten fingers, uh, hoo hoo or whatever the name of the kid is, hoo hoo. You've got ten fingers. Now let's re- take this pebble and make that ten, right? And then he takes a bunch of pebbles and he puts them in like a, a crab shell, and he says, "This is how many people lived in uh, this community." And then he gets now if every if every one of these grains of sand on this beach um, represented all the people, this is how many people died. And it's like, wow, it, it, it does sort of put it into your hand in the same way that, um, you know, when you just learn about the size of the universe sort of thing or the age of the earth, it's like, wow. Yeah, like one of those powers to 10 things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's beautiful. So maybe we should go back a little bit on this list and uh, check out rivers. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm interested in this book. I hadn't heard of the author before. It's Michael Ferris Smith, and it's also read by Michael Ferris Smith. Yeah, he's the reader. And this is one of the Simon and Schuster titles, and uh, it's about 11 hours. And let me read the description. It had been raining for weeks, maybe months. He had forgotten the last day that it hadn't rained, when the storms gave way to the blue pale blue of the gulf sky when the birds flew and the clouds were white and sunshine glistened across the drenched land. So this is kind of a post-hurricane destruction novel. <laughs> Sounds kind of up my alley. <laughs> mm-hmm. You love destroying the earth, Jen. I Why do. <laughs> I like seeing how people survive and the new things that are created after. Yeah, I think I, that's I, how I, I like it. There's a lot of creativity there. Yeah, it, it's all it's it's nice to see the slate wiped clean, also, and then you can put new stuff on it. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, all the different society, you should try Fallout. You'd probably like that. Yeah. Well, and there are a lot of novels these days. Um, Tobias Buckel wrote one, a few too that are kind of environmental destruction rather than plagues or war. Um, so that seems to be kind of a newer trend, which makes sense. Makes sense. Yep. So this one sounds yeah. promising. Yeah, it sounds all right. Looking at the author's website, and he's he's got uh, alternative uh, art on there, I think. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, the cover of this one's really striking. It isn't what you would expect it to be, so that oh, always yeah, the, kind of pulls me into. The rusted sign, yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. A little more creative. Yeah. A lot of reviews here, too. Cool. All righty. Uh, who's re- oh, nobody's reviewing that. Hmm. Oh, I probably will. I just hadn't put my name in there yet. All right. Uh, next, Interrupt. By Jeff Carlson. Not to interrupt people, but Interrupt by Jeff Carlson. Read by Hunter Davis. Brilliance. Um, and it's published simultaneously. Is that is that important anymore? I guess it is. It must mean it's it's out now. Right. I like to clarify that a lot because a lot of times we'll see audiobooks that are three or four years after and right. it just doesn't seem to have as much of a draw for people. Yeah, yeah, I bet that's true. 
11 CDs, and it says, In the distant past, the leader of the Neanderthal tribe confronts the end of his kind. Today, a computational biologist, a Navy pilot, and an autistic boy are drawn together by the ancient mystery that gave rise to Homo sapiens. Planes are falling from the sky. Global communications have ceased. America stands on the brink of war with China. But war is the least of humankind's concerns. A solar storm destroys Earth's electronics and plunges the world into another ice age. Our civilization finds itself overrun by a powerful new species of man. Hmm. So the new species of man isn't Neanderthal, I guess. Sounds, uh, sounds a little bit like Philip K. Dick, sort of. Uh, maybe that's the autistic boy I'm thinking. Hmm. Well, and it's the combination of characters, right? The biologist, the pilot. <laughs> yes, I know how to pronounce Neanderthal. <laughs> Neanderthal. Although I think both pronunciations are technically correct. Um, Did you get that from Robert J. Sawyer? I, it might have been. I don't know. I, I, re- I used to read a lot of uh, Discover magazine, hmm. um, which... I don't think it had the pronunciation guide, but when you talk about Discover Magazine articles, you have to talk about Neanderthals quite a bit, I think. You know, I'd say that both pronunciations are correct the same way that literally now means not literally. (laughs) (laughs) Where enough people have done it wrong for long enough where they're just like, fine. my (laughs) My favorite one is to go into work and to say it's figuratively raining cats and dogs outside. It's figuratively raining cats and dogs outside. And everybody says... Not funny, <laughs> but I think it's it's much it's much funnier to point that out than it is to pretend that you understand what you're saying. You say literally, and it's not literally true. Uh, all right, the Darwin elevator. Now uh, I have a little inside information on the Darwin elevator. Um, who's uh, Julie's doing the review? Which Julie are we talking Julie about? Davis, it, oh, okay, Julie Davis. Because I started it and I quit. So I thought someone else should get a chance. <laughs> well, um, I was talking with Simon Vance the other day. And Simon Vance told me that it's it's fast-paced uh, action SF, not um, literary SF. That's very but true. He seemed to think it was, very, it was a fun book. And uh, I'm not sure if it's the first in the series, but... It is. Oh, okay. Uh, so probably it's a fun, fast-paced series. Um do any of us know about Jason M. Hugh, the uh, um, the author? I talked to him on Twitter. You talked to him on Twitter. I okay. did. What's he into? Um, he he's a he's a he he has that thriller sort of vibe. He likes to write science fiction thrillers, and this is what sort of where this novel seems to fit. At least that's his. I at least the that's the impression I get from him. What is this? Uh, we haven't read the uh, the. Maybe we should read the. Yeah, I'll, I'll read or, the thing. Jason M. Go for it. Jason M. Hughes' pulse-pounding debut combines the drama, swagger, and vivid characters of Josh Whedon's Firefly with the talent of sci-fi author John Scalzi. In the mid-twenty-third century, Darwin, Australia, stands as the last human city on Earth. The world has succumbed to an alien plague, with most of the population transferred into mindless, savage creatures. The planet's refugees flock to Darwin, where a space elevator, created by the architects of this apocalypse, the Boulders, emits a plague-suppressing aura. Skyler Lucan has a rare immunity to the plague. Backed by an international crew of fellow immunes, 
He leads missions into the dangerous wasteland beyond Aura's edge to find the resources Darwin needs to stave off collapse. But when the elevator starts to malfunction, Skylar is tapped, along with the brilliant scientist Dr. Tani Sharma, to solve the mystery of the failing alien technology and save the ragged remnants of humanity. Uh, what the cool thing I was getting a vibe there would be, um, he's, he's actually working for the enemy, right? That's kind of cool. If that's what, if I'm getting that information, right? So there's a space elevator, um, that was created by aliens. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, but he's, he's helping humanity, the remnants of humanity with the alien technology. It's, Right, but um, it, it, it might be like, you know, the occupiers of the Earth have these soldiers who are working for them. Well, but in this book, they've never had any contact with the aliens, at least uh-huh. not anything they've understood. Oh, okay. So there isn't any way to say, hey, you know, this isn't working. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> so it just, you know, appears one day, nothing ever happens, and then the plague thing hits and they think they're related, but they're not actually ever really sure, at least not in the beginning of the book, which is the well, part they, I listened to. They better, they better get to that by the third book. Oh, well, <laughs> the se- second one's out already. Third one's coming out. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, it's, it, it, they did one of those compressed schedules and the third wow. one's coming out end of this month. Wow. So you have the Darwin elevator, the Exodus towers and the plague force. I did. Forge, I, not force. My apologies. Wow. So. That's that's a, that is compressed. Yeah, yeah and I, I feel. Remember, sorry, go Teddy. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Uh, yeah, he was he was talking he was talking on a blog about how he had he had written this first book and then they said, well, we want to put these out quickly, so he had to write double time to make sure the other two were up up to speed and got out, got out to meet deadlines. And he found that a little, little bit of a pressure to get that get the last two up and running. Is this his first book? I believe. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, interesting. Uh, getting Simon Vance on it must be, must be, you know, the publisher thinks it's going to be hot stuff. To put them all out in such short order, yeah. Yeah, but also to get Simon Vance, who's a really good narrator, to do it. Yeah, good point. I mean, uh, a lot of times you, books come out and they have a narrator, but it's not a, you know, real name. So... That's yeah. It must be a good book. Yeah, and all I wanted to say is I don't think it's a bad book. That's not why I stopped listening to it because I think there are a lot of books that are good, and I just don't care for them myself. You know, yeah. it's much Action, more action-oriented stuff is is not necessarily. Uh, yeah, and descriptions of the military maneuvers and the ship maneuvers. It's just not my thing. Oh, okay. But it's, there are people so that are like, like military <laughs> SF is what you're saying. Yeah, it's much more on that side of things than uh, on the survival post-plague things, which, you know, it's what I was kind of thinking it might be. Gotcha. Well, I think we've uh, complenished, uh, com- complenished, complenished, we've complenished everything. Uh, dystopian destruction is complenished. Complenished. <laughs> so <laughs> let's move on to post-humans, robots, and cyberpunk. Hopefully there will be some actual post-humans, some actual robots, and some actual cyberpunk in here, but we'll see. Uh, Reflex, sequel to Jumper. Hasn't this come out many times? I keep thinking, no, okay, this is the one I always think has come out many times. (laughs) This is the one I reviewed years ago, but it was the first one. Jumper came out many times, and then I think there was a Jumper, another book, like, like it was parallel or a sequel to Reflex. I think I got it now. Well, and it did come out in 2011, 
on Audible. Okay. So now it's right. just making its way to CD. I I wonder about this move. Like, are, is there really still that big of an industry for the physical? Audio? It might be libraries. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I'm that would make sure. sense. Because you know, a lot of people are hooked to uh, Audible or other, you know, digital, you know, iTunes or whatever. But um, I think there's still. I know, like Julie, still goes to the library to get her audiobooks as well. So, and I guess Bryce will tell us how uh, how the transition is on CD. Do, do, are you ripping most of these for people, or are oh, you mailing them? Mm-hmm. Mailing or ripping is mailing. What's, what's, yeah, okay. So some people still like it on CD, right? Yeah. Plus, I have the CD. Why would I put extra work into it? <laughs> I don't know. Save save postage. <laughs> But it's not very expensive to ship. No, because you can ship media mail. That's right. Uh, the nice thing about Bryce doing this one is that he also reviewed Jumper. So it'll be a little okay. continuous reviewing tone, I guess. Yeah, I, I read the uh, Reflex years ago, a long time ago. Publishers out of business, a really good narration by uh, William DeFries. Um, but I think it actually was William DeFries and, uh, and a woman um, they had like dual narration, dual narrators, one male and female trading off for male and female characters. Um, very, uh, a fun, easy read. Um, and it has basically the same idea, uh, as, um, the stars, my destination is that the, it's not really technology exactly, but it's, um, it's teleportation by built in innate skill and um it, it there's some cool stuff i i keep thinking they made a movie out of the first they did book, that, that's right yeah um i don't remember the movie that well but i remember the book pretty well and it, it has some cool stuff like um if you can teleport to places you can sort of do things that um like you could take water through uh like if you're in water you take you can open a hole in one place and have it come out sort of like in portal, you know, you can have things come through places when you can open doors into weird places. It's, 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 it's sort of interesting physics, but I'm like, I'm not sure it's science fiction because the, the technology for his jumping is never explained. It might be like just a weird kind of fantasy. I'm not sure, but still very easy, easy and good read. What what did you classify this as, Jenny? Is this post-humans? Yes, it's post-human because people can teleport. (laughs) All right, that makes sense. That's like uh, X-Men sort of stuff. This is the magical power I've always wanted to have. If I got to pick, this is what I would pick. He's Nightcrawler, except without a tail, blue skin, bangs, or... Right, right. And and, and the bad smell, right? And the bad smell, yes. (laughs) And it doesn't go bamf when he... Pops in. Yeah. Oh yeah, the bamf. I think there's some sound, there's some sort of sound or something, but yeah, it's not bamf certainly. Yeah. So reflex is the second book, and impulse is the third book. All right. Now the Clockwork Man. I have not read any of this so far, but it's nice and short, five hours long. Yeah, and this is another one of those um, dream work, dream, dreamscape, dreamscape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just didn't have it listed there. Um, and read by Ralph Lister, who I usually love. I can read the description of this one. Several thousand years from now, advanced humanoids known as the Makers will implant clockwork devices into our heads. 
At the cost of a certain amount of agency, these devices will permit us to move unhindered through time and space and to live complacent, well-regulated lives. However, when one of these devices goes awry, a clockwork man appears accidentally in the 1920s at a cricket match in a small English village. Comical, yet mind-blowing hijinks ensue. (laughs) It's first published in 1923. So Radium Age again. Yeah, Radium Age. Uh, Yeah, it's from the high-low books collection. Now, um, one thing that I uh, I think I am disappointed in, in the first two that I've listened to, it says on the cover in a very small print that they have an introduction and neither of them actually does. So I guess for the audio, they didn't record the introduction, which is uh. kind of, uh, that does kind of bum me out because I'm really, um, I love introductions and forwards and afterwards and all that stuff. I, I find I learn a lot from them. I wonder if it's because they'd have to pay royalties on the intro and they don't have to do that on the novel itself. Yeah, the, but the thing is, is they did license the the art, at least, right? So, True. Um, uh, the thing is, is they maybe would have had to pay a little more for the introductions because those are copyright to someone other than the publisher, I guess. I don't know. But even so, it's great to have... Oh, like, I'd never heard of this book before. Mm-mm. But um, I'm... I'm really, I mean, the quality of those those first three makes me think that this one's going to be really good. Very excited about these books. This is, uh, and they seem to come out of nowhere. You know, the Dreamscape audiobooks is from 2010, they started, but I've never seen their stuff before. I know. One thing I'm hoping that they'll be able to add to their site, um, at least I haven't figured out how to preview the audiobooks. I don't think that they have a preview option. Have you mm. have you seen one? Uh yeah. Um I I think I I did hear some of them on the site, so it might be not all of them are up. Okay. Um they have a lot like it looks like they have a lot of stuff coming out mm. and that they haven't got everything um they haven't got everything out yet. Like it might be they do other stuff other than audiobooks as well. So uh, it might be that they've got uh, just so much that you're clicking on that it's not actually out yet. They don't have a, a clip up. Gotcha. I, I just make a lot of my purchasing decisions based on previews. Yeah, me too. So. First chapters uh, cool. of Kindle books, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's good stuff. So up next we have Urban Fantasy. And if you don't mind, for those mm-hmm. that are just um, – part of a series i'd like to just read off that they exist but we probably don't need to spend too much time on them no problem Um, okay so affliction and anita blank vampire hunter novel is actually number 22 by laurel k hamilton uh the lord of opium mateo alacran number two it's a nancy farmer ya title from simon and schuster um we have several of the bane chronicles i think um Cassandra Clare has been putting out a lot of little kind of treaty things like short, short audio, short ebooks that are download only because um, she's also the author of the movie, the Mortal Chronicles, right? That's coming out or the book that got made into the movie. Um, so with those chronicles, we have the Midnight Air and also, oh, I thought there was another one. I didn't, I guess I didn't even add the other one. There were two of those from Simon and Schuster, and those are both YA urban fantasy titles. Ninety minutes long. Yeah, so they're just more of um, 
I think of them, they're not really fanfic because they're written by the author, but it's like side stories and um, backstories of some of the characters. So I know that mm-hmm. the people who like that series are really excited about that. I've seen the uh, those books around the Mortal Instruments Infernal Devices series. Right, that's the I, other series. Uh, uh, what? What? Oh, that's a different. Um, that's not the one that's getting turned into a movie. No, it it is, but the Bane Chronicles are a different series. I just think that the reason so many of these little things are coming out is just to kind of ride that wave of yeah. You know, the natural, oh, I've seen this movie, now I will go buy all the books. <laughs> right. So, has anybody read those books? I, I'm not, I've seen them around, but I, I, I see that they're selling, they're popular, but I, I never picked one up and no. wondered what was in, going I on. I haven't, in no. Okay. There's so much urban fantasy in the YA section that I have to really hear that it's good for me to bother. Yeah. YA seems to be growing in leaps and bounds. You think that's all due to Harry Potter and then... Hunger Games. And then Hunger Games. I think people are building on the Hunger Games, yeah. Yeah, okay. And then the last one in this category um, is Untouchable from the Immortals After Dark series. It's number eight by Cressley Cole, read by Robert Petkoff, and that's another Simon & Schuster title. Did you guys hear that there's a, a TV show that's inspired by the Hunger Games? No. What, what is it? I I didn't watch it, but there I was reading about it, and there was like it's like there's some I don't know reserve area where they've they've l- released a bunch of people into <laughs> a space, and it's like Chase or something like that. They released a bunch of people into a uh, an area and basically they've recreated the hunger games except it's a tv show reality tv show um and nobody dies oh it's they called just, the hunt the hunt okay teams of two are dropped into the wilderness without food water or shelter right i was thinking that <laughs> um i guess it's all in the storytelling right because I, if you if you think about how the hunger games works the the TV show in the Hunger Games universe, I think it would be pretty terrible to the television, right? You're watching it. You, you, every once in a while, you you look over at the TV. Somebody's caught in a trap or something. You say, "Oh, that's exciting." Then you go back to your you know folding laundry or whatever. It'd be very slow. Um, but where whereas this works, it's um, it's compressed, so they allow they allow to do the regular re- reality television narrative which is actually how the book works as well, right? There's a narrative to it. It's not just um, like live cameras facing. I mean, it'd be like watching Big Brother in real time. Well, the, instead of- the people who live in the districts in the Hunger Games are watching everything live all the time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is it, but we don't hear about it that way. way. Because there's no narrative that way. Right, right? There's, right. there's no story. It's just like watching... Uh, one of those live cams or whatever they are. The Truman Show. Uh, yeah, yeah but even so, you know, the reason the Truman Show is a good show is because we're watching the movie. <laughs> right, right, right. But there are people in that world who are just watching him do his thing. Although, although we do see there's some editing and camera angles. I mean, we're just watching in 24 hours a day. Which, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do. I do think that if a Hunger Games show would actually work, it would be reality show it would use reality show tropes to uh be more entertaining 
you know, is it it's just it seems like in fiction the television shows that people watch don't have to be as interesting as the ones we watch because they they're not actually interested in narrative, which is which is pretty funny because they are the narrative, right? <laughs> I think it's a we- I think it's a weakness. I I I, th- yeah. I think if you're gonna have television shows in fiction, the television shows should be interesting to the reader as well as the people inside of the narrative of, this, of the book. Otherwise, yeah. why? Otherwise, you're suggesting that humans have lost all, all taste for narrative, which makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. Well, and sometimes it, it may serve a purpose. That's how bad society has gotten, for instance. Yeah, I, I, I think that's usually the the underlying point. But um, I, I was reading the there's a uh, not a Wikipedia, but there's a wiki for TV tropes. I go to that site all the time. TV tropes, and they had show within a show as a trope. Mm-hmm. And um, the 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 most interesting section was actually um, the Shakespeare. The plays, right? Because each, almost every Shakespeare play has a show within a show. Like there's, there's a, uh, in Hamlet, there's the one where, um, Hamlet has some players set up a play that will catch the conscience of the king, right? Um, and those plays themselves, we don't get that much detail about, but basically they're a cartoon version of the, of the play we're watching. But in other cases, um, there's one Shakespearean play that the whole play is actually the play within the play is actually the play we're watching, which is really trippy, right? Shakespeare is like way deep into what we would um, think are very modern meta things like, you know, the way community does it. Shakespeare did that 500 years ago. That's why people still read Shakespeare. I think that's right. Is He just knew how to kick ass when it came to storytelling. All right, let's move on. Epic traditional fantasy quests and elves. That's how we can tell it's epic and traditional. <laughs> <laughs> There's no uh and elves are allowed to marry humans, but but that's that's it. <laughs> There's no this traditional marriage, one man, one elf. <laughs> <laughs> no elves and gnomes, that's not in. That's not epic or traditional. No trolls, right. trolls and elves. No, no, that that's an um, um yeah, that's uh isn't that how the Urukai got made or something? I can't remember. I think I think they're half trolls and half elves or something. I don't know. I don't know. But that that was that was miscegenation. That was terrible. That's why Soraman got into so much trouble. All right, um, Crown Thief: Tales of e- Easy Damasco, yep. number two. Easy, easy, e- e- easy Damasco. That's his name. This is a sequel to Giant Thief. Which I started and it didn't grab me, so I never actually went back and finished Giant Thief. But apparently, it did well enough that they made a se- they were a sequel. Okay. Meet Easy Damasco, thief, liar, and lately reluctant hero. But whatever good intentions Damasco may have may have are about to be tested to their limits, as the most valuable and dangerous object in the land comes within his frightened, light-fingered ga- grasp. Add in some suicidally stubborn giants, an old enemy with dreams of empire, and the deadliest killer in two kingdoms on his heels, and Easy's chances of staying honest or just even surviving are getting slimmer by the hour. So it sounds like sort of Jack and the Giant Slayer sort of, or sort of those traditional fairy tale style. He, he he's he, he's a he's a sword and sorcery character. He 
He's basically a he's a, he's a he's a thief and a conniving con artist sort of guy. In the first novel, he winds up getting this golem-like thing to follow him around and help him on his stuff. I didn't finish it, so I don't know what. I guess I guess I guess he returned the golem to his master or something. He doesn't have the golem clearly in this one. Otherwise, the golem could go uh, kick some butt because the the golem the golem is nasty. So yeah, so he's he's that sort of uh, roguish character. Gotcha. Now, uh, Terry Brooks, I've not read any Terry Brooks. We've got Witch Wraith, The Dark Legacy of Shannara. Um, anybody read any Shannara books? A long time ago. They're, they're like very traditional, uh, Tolkien inspired, right? Um, they're Tolkien with the serial numbers filed off. Right. Okay. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's 15 hours 41 minutes read by Rosalind Landor. Uh The Dark Legacy is this like uh this is this a, a new series of the same universe with with more dark elves or what, what do you know anything about this? Um it 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 it's it's a new it's a new series in Shinaro because he's just been churning them out. I don't think they're dark elves per se, but it's just yeah, more more elves, more evil doing in the four lands. What is yeah. what is on the tin? <laughs> so, um, my, one of my friends was reading this series years ago, years ago, and he said uh, the elf stones. It's all about the elf stones, and I'm like, what are the elf stones? And he's he's saying, well, they're the things you got to get. And I'm like, okay. Plot coup by fantasy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, uh, I think, isn't it weird that in, in The Lord of the Rings, they're trying to get rid of the thing, right? In every other uh, Tolkien-inspired thing, they're always questing for the thing. It's, it's like they all read Tolkien and they said, but why did he want to get rid of that ring? That's so cool. They should go questing for that ring. I think that's the difference between a trilogy and writing a series that goes on forever. Because if you finally get rid of it, that's it. That's the end. And then if you're still looking for something, you can just keep writing. And I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry for Shannara. And there are so many different trilogies within this or even separate series. There's Word and Void, the Genesis of Shannara, Legends of Shannara, the original Shannara trilogy, which has the Elfstone books. Mm-hmm. Heritage of Shannara, The Voyage of the Jural Shannara, High Druid of Shannara, this set, The Dark Legacy of Shannara, and then a few little single volumes. Mm. So, it's interesting. Somebody likes it. Yeah. He's got the urban fantasy that actually ties to Shannara universe, because Shannara, spoilers, is set in the far future of Earth after magical cataclysm, and he has books oh. set in the present day where the forces that are going to create that Shinar universe are working behind the scenes. I read one of those because, well, I figured, okay, maybe he's gotten better as an author. It still Hmm. wasn't for me. So is that any of those that I just listed or is it another? Uh, The word, the word in void, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah. So is is the current day ones. That's kind of a fun thing to do though. Well, connecting it all together. Yeah. If you have the time and effort that, that, that does create a richer, Richer, broader universe. I, I give Absolutely. him props for that. Sure. I wonder if he had you it guys, all planned out from the beginning. Did you guys, uh, anybody of you watch that TV series called Revolution? Yeah, I still do. You still do? Okay. So uh, the point at which I stopped watching it was as soon as I realized um, that it was one of these quest shows and that, that basically the plan was to have people questing for these 
I don't know, elf stones or whatever they are. <laughs> because I, I was much more interested in it as a, a dystopia, um, sort of, uh, I don't know, retelling of, of, of the first American revolution or something than, than as a quest show. And I thought, I don't need to watch this anymore. Right. And I, I don't, it was like four or five episodes in maybe. But it, it's totally seemed to me like, yeah, they're going on a quest now. I, I, I think these things tend to lend to those. It's, I mean, the, the S.M. Sterling novels, the change novels, have turned in many cases into quest novels. I mean, yeah, as opposed it's to just pop- a way of yeah, it's, making a lot longer. Yeah, it's Robert Jordan. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and, oh, well. you know, like with Harry Potter... I didn't mind it because they contained it within probably one or two of the books. But I don't know. When I was reading Robert Jordan or trying to, I think I quit after number three because I realized every book was just going to lead up to that ending just to set up the next book. And that drove me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. I, I The series I read was the, you know, that's kind of like that is the um, Dragonlance series. I mean, but I don't remember them ever questing for a thing that they had to get. There was lots of dragons and, you know, all the traditional fantasy, you know, half elves only is if you're going to have half halflings. But <laughs> they didn't have um, where you have to go find something to do something. It was I think it was like there's a war and they they have to inform and try and gather forces and stuff. So it's like it it had sort of the. Uh, the elements of Tolkien that are not, that are not about the ring, right? You know, in, in Tolkien, there's the ring, uh, in the Lord of the Rings, there's the ring quest where they have to go get rid of this thing. And then there's the, the let's gather our forces and fight against the orcs sort of thread. And I liked both, but it seems that a lot of books go down the let's go on a quest thread. And it almost never works. I, I haven't thought of one that I've, I've enjoyed. I think, I think it depends. Oh, I'm sorry. I think that's changing, and some authors are playing with that. Um, the um, Daniel Abraham's Dragon's Path novel novels play with those tropes, but he's clearly hmm. he clearly knows that yes, you know these characters are going on a quest, but then he subverts some of the expectations you get in going on a quest and other characters have completely different plot lines. There's court intrigue. There's a banker trying to do financial shenanigans. So I think authors are starting to buy the vowel that quests are <laughs> bore quests are boring and we've done that. We could do other things now, but mm-hmm. lots of people, apparently enough people will write them that they just keep getting turned out. Mm. I think it also depends on what kind of reader you are. I know some people that read The Eye of the World all the way through and then they start it again and those are the only books that they read and I think it's because they fall in love with the world and they just want to roll around in it a little bit. They want to live there. Yeah. 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 And so I can imagine those books continuing and ongoing because they've built the world and they want to keep writing in it. So how would we analyze um, the George R. R. Martin books in comparison to this? There's there's it's almost a quest element there in the uh the dragon end of the spectrum but 
I would say it's more, it's much more about the gathering the forces and stuff, and also, yeah, subverting expectations. So yeah, from the fir- from the first book through the Red Wedding, and although really we should we should have seen it coming with Boromir, you know. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't. Know, but I didn't know when I read that novel in the nineties that Boromir was going to play him. So that's right. What have you? Let's move on to a completely different kind of category. Hooray. Let's say you. Let's say you to this conventional idea. Children's fantasy. I was so excited when I opened the box from Penguin Audio and there were all these rolled doll books that I took a picture of that moment. Yeah. Um, rolled doll is uh, one of my favorite right authors as a kid. I read the BFG and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory over and over and over. So hearing. You wanted to live in that world. I did. I wanted to live in that world. And so immediately I listened to Matilda because it's the one I never read when I was younger, which I can't believe. Um, and it's read by Kate Winslet and I love her oh, really? too. Yeah. And it's such, it's such a great production of it. Um, Kate Winslet is amazing. She has voices for everyone. And the story itself, of course, is wonderful because it's about this girl who's pretty much a genius. Um, and then she has to use special powers to deal with the bullies, both her parents and the headmistress at her school. Um, it's amazing. The trench bull is no match for Matilda. Matilda is sweet, exceptional, an exceptional young girl, but her parents think she's just a nuisance. She expects school to be different, but there she has to face Miss Trunchbull, a kid-hating terror of a headmistress. When Matilda is attacked by the Trunchbull, she suddenly discovers she is a remarkable power which will fight back. Uh, with which to fight back. It'll take a superhuman genius to give Miss Trunchbull what she deserves, and Matilda may be just the one to do it. I've not read this book. I, I'm surprised because I, I thought I had read all of Gold Doll. Well, and this one has a, a movie that was made several years ago that has a lot of the really funny scenes in it, um, but I hadn't watched it before either. And then it ended up being made into a musical on Broadway that was nominated for a Tony Award this past year. Hmm. Um, I noticed that my favorite is not on here. Uh, the Twits. I like that one the most because I it, it's just so distinctive. The the main characters are hateable. <laughs> Roald Dahl really does great characters. I think that's the the key. He really does, and just like most children's fiction, the child is always the hero and the defeats all the bad people usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I was I, I was watching uh you know Futurama just wrapped up again I don't know if it's rewrapping or whatever but I was rewatching uh, the first season of Futurama and uh, they did a whole uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory episode except it was uh, Fry in the in the Slurm Factory <laughs> it was um, it was it was fun to see all the the callbacks to the original book and I guess the movie as well. Which one? But it was uh, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie, I guess, with um, Billy Wilder. Not, not Billy Wilder. Um, Gene, Gene Wilder. Wilder. Yeah. Um, there's a, a slurm uh, or a slug playing Gene Wilder. And uh, it's 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 great stuff. It, it was a golden bottle cap and instead of a, a golden uh, chocolate bar or whatever it was. It's, 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 it's such good, surprising, fun stuff. Kids still like it. 
I just love the character names that he gives gives the characters in his books and stories. Mm-hmm. Augustus Gloop, Veruca Salt, Miss yeah. Trunchbull. They re- yeah. re- 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 he really gets the juice out of them. He does. The Blood Bottler. They're kind of like um, Dickensian names, aren't they? Yeah. He's a, it's it's like Dickens for kids or something hmm. almost. Well, and it's funny that you should say that because Matilda the character of Matilda in Matilda um, starts reading really early. Like she's four and she goes to the public library by herself and she reads all the mm-hmm. kids books and asks the librarian for help. And so what does she hand her first? Dickens. Oh. It's <laughs> well, her gateway drug to like literature. So <laughs> There are far worse gateway drugs to, to literature than Dickens. That's for sure. Seriously. I'm looking at the, all of these have been taken up, so we're going to get reviews of all of oh, these. Oh, yeah. People. Nobody says no to... Uh, to Doll. Doll, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so the other titles that we got are the BFG, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Charlie and the Great, Gra- Great Glass Elevator, and then a set of short stories that I'm not familiar with either called The Wonderful, Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar. Hmm. I've, I've got a copy of that at school. Seven superb stories from the world's number one short stories, uh, number one storyteller. You know what? I should actually go into that because I haven't, I haven't picked that up for years. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really good. And most of them are three or four CDs, and some of them say they come with special sound effects. I mean, they're definitely marketed for kids. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm digging this though. I, it's been a while since they re- released them. I think. As audiobooks, if if before I don't know, but they're always in print, and I, whenever I see them at the used bookstore, I'm like, oh, I'll take that, <laughs> put it put it in my stack because, you know, I give them to kids, and then they 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 read them, and sometimes they bring them back, and sometimes they don't, but I don't really get upset if they don't because I think you know they're gonna enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's nice, nice stuff. All right, we got one more category. Oh no, two more categories. Or maybe three more categories. We got some more categories. What's next? Well, we just have all the non-science fiction fantasy books that just kind of show up anyway. Anyone see mm. anything on, that they want to talk about on the list? Let's see. We have a memoir or a biography, some crime, some thriller. None of these really stuck out to me, honestly. JFK, Last Hundred Days, The Transformation of a Man and the Emergence of a Great President. Hmm. Uh, not, I'm not a big JFK uh, history fan. I think I'm done with that. I've, I've read enough about it. And this is Death the second and, book we've gotten about him in the last yeah. month, I think. So. Yeah, it's, yeah. Pretty, 50, it's pretty... 50 years of his uh, assassination, uh, that's why. Ah, there you go. That's why. It's 50 years. Wow. That's a long time. Death Angel by Linda Ferristein. I've not read a Linda Ferristein. Frederick Forsyth. Uh, oh, yes. Good. We've got a reviewer for that. George Guadal's The Reader. Yeah, is that the great? List. Yeah, that, that would be something worth checking out. Um, I'll read the description on this. In Virginia, there's an agency bearing the bland name of Technical Operation Support Activity, or TOSA. Its one mission is to track, find, and kill those so dangerous to the United States that they are on the short document known as the Kill List. TOSA actually exists. So does the Kill List. 
Yes, that's true. <laughs> Added to the to its new name, a terrorist of frightening ac- effectiveness called the Preacher, who radicalizes young mu- Muslims abroad to carry out assassinations. Unfortunately for him, one of the kills is a retired Marine general whose son is a Tosa top hunter of men. He spent the last six years at his job. He knows nothing about his target's name, face, or location. He realizes his search will take him to places where few could survive, but the preacher has made it his personal, uh, has made it personal now. The hunt is on. You know, I'm, that, I'm actually, I'm always turned off by now it's personal. When I see that in a movie, you know, like, he's a cop. <laughs> they killed his family. Now it's personal. I'm like, well, uh, can't he just be motivated by his, you know, his job? <laughs> he, he went into the field to begin with. It's like, why do we have to go into outer space? Because the aliens threw rocks at us. Now it's personal. <laughs> no, it's cool to go into outer space. You don't have to throw rocks at us to make us go up there. But it it seems like, um, you know, the adding adding heat. It's a way of adding heat to a. Uh, urgency and stuff or character or character development this is this is why he's fighting sort of thing yeah yeah i don't know i it, it always it's it, it, the the adding it's like when they add a baby on a tv show or something you know like oh and i'm pregnant why did you add that why did you add that not because you're thinking long term because babies are not that interesting to s- stories right they tend to make make it uh, like in Breaking Bad, right? That's actually bad writing. When they add this baby in, it's cool at the beginning, but then you realize, oh yeah, they don't really spend much time thinking about the baby the whole rest of the show, do they? It's like the baby's invisible. So it 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 seems like um, just a bad move. Could be worse. You could be get the artificially aging child syndrome. Oh yeah. Well, that's the solution, right? So, that's the solution to the the bad problem. Suddenly the baby's 6 years old. You're like, what? <laughs> now at least he or she can say funny witticisms uh, you know, or wisdom of of children or whatever it is. I don't know. I'm I remind I'm reminded of the last season of Mork and Mindy where you had an egg slash baby and they did the reverse aging in a Jonathan Winters as the quote-unquote baby. That's right. So they tried to solve it that way. They subverted that. Yeah. I I did enjoy that when it was on, but I was uh, admittedly I was a kid, so I don't know if it's if it's any good. I just remember it being funny. But it might have been just Robin Williams was a funny character. I I I I, I fear if I watched it again, it would be blessed by the sec fairy. So I'll just keep my happy memories of right. yeah of the show that I have. I think you're right. So, what else we got? That's the end of our list. Yeah, does anyone have anything else? I was looking, poking around Audible and found mm-hmm. a few things I thought were interesting. Anyone Let's else? Hear about well, this is just um, a Kim Stanley Robinson novel that I hadn't heard anything of. And now I'm feeling like I don't know how to pronounce the word shaman. <laughs> is that right? So I thought it was. Sounds right to me. Shaman or shaman? Shaman or shaman, okay. Narrated by Graham Malcolm. And it came out this week. Um, there's Thorn, a shaman himself. He lives to pass down his wisdom and his stories to teach those who would follow in his footsteps. 
There is Heather, the healer, who in many ways holds the clan together. There is Elga, an outsider and the bringer of change. And then there is Loon, the next shaman, who's determined to find his own path. But in a world so treacherous that journey is never simple, and where it may lead is never certain. So this is set 30,000 years ago. Not the typical um, space novel, it doesn't sound like. So I, I hadn't heard this one was coming, so sounds interesting. I started reading the uh, the Kindle sample, so it's a very like hard edged. This kid is like naked and he's trying to fend for his life, but uh, it's not science fiction at all. It's like whatever you call it, scientific prehistoric, like Clan of the Cave Bear, but prehistoric. Well, uh, that's that's a class. It's generally classified as science fiction, even though it yeah it's set in reverse. It's not it's not set in the normal conventional future time it's uh prehistorical romance is traditionally thought of as science fiction because usually there's a technology happening like fire hey i invented fire it seems very uh, intensely researched he uses kind of uh funny words i guess it's uh i don't know where he gets them from but it's a little distracting but it seems very well researched and uh, hard-edged hmm Okay. I guess. I had not heard he was writing this either, and suddenly, oop, there, there's a new Kim, Kim Stanley Robinson novel. Yeah, there mm. it is. I, I see David Drake's lead Books of the Elements series is up to book three, and that's coming out short. That's or just come out in Audible. Monsters of the Earth. Um, it's basically fantasy Rome with magic. It's it, the geography is very much like Earth, but just some of the names are different. But it's got Roman culture to it. Hmm. So we were talking before about S.M. Sterling. His latest novel in his uh, Change series has also come out on Audible. The Given Sacrifice is that's book ten in this Emberverse. Holy crap! I've only read two. Hmm. Sean Sean McGuire, more urban fantasy, book seven. A lot, lot of series, lot of series coming out. Yeah. Um, now, um, I, I noticed some uh, some stuff here as well. Soldier uh, by Harlan Ellison. There's a uh, audio go version of that short story. It's 56 minutes long, uh, read by John Sherian. Um, and you know that's the one that people, I guess, <laughs> successfully claimed in court is is the inspiration for the Terminator. I would say that that is a very, um, <laughs> that judgment was pretty weak because I've read the story. I've seen the movie. They're not that similar. There's also an Outer but, Limits episode. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I think actually, what? no, maybe that, yeah, there's a, the demon with the glass hand is the one you're thinking of. No, no, it's called soldier. There's two of them. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, wasn't there a movie with uh, Kurt Russell as well? Right. Is that based on Harlan Ellison? I I can't no. tell you. No, it, no, it's <laughs> not. It's called Soldier. I, I'm getting them confused. But I've read Soldier, and it's not that similar to uh, to. Uh, but I think the problem was it, is it, James Cameron said, uh, "Yeah, I read Soldier. It was really good, so I made a movie about it." Right, and he didn't exactly make the movie, but he. It, there are a lot of elements that are similar, but they're quite different. The Adam Lemus episode seemed pretty similar. Like the soldiers, like name, rank, and serial letters. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. 
But even, uh, you know, that's what a soldier would say, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it, it's definitely inspired by, but it's not an adaptation, I would say. But I guess if you make a mistake of saying it, it is an adaptation, then you're going to get in trouble if you haven't licensed it. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're going up against Harlan Ellison. That's right. Yeah, that that was a pretty foolish thing to say, really. Um, so, um, I saw that. I also saw some... Um, Philip Wiley. You guys read any Philip Wiley? Don't think so. Mm-mm. Philip Wiley is uh, an old school. He's sort of a mainstream writer um, in the way that John Wyndham was. Um, he seemed to have written a lot, and I've read uh, a few books by him. Um, and they're pretty good. They're they're. I'm surprised that it took sort of this long for things to to show up. I'll see if I can get the the ones I was looking at. There's one called Tomorrow, um, which is a 11-hour book. Um, is the story of an average, nice Americans living in the neighboring cities of Green Prairie and River City in middle America. It is Until the Sudden Blitz, the story of a girl next door and her boyfriend uh, of the accountant who saw the, what was coming and the rich old lady who didn't. Basically, it's um, it's nuclear war. You did sort of a lot of these um, uh, end of the world books, so Jenny, it's right up Jenny's alley, really. Um, and uh, I was like, yeah, he's he's a good writer. He's not like John Wyndham good, but he's good. And he did the uh, the when worlds collide and after worlds collide. Oh, that author. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've I've read those two, but I haven't read yeah. that. Yeah. Those are co-written with uh, Edwin Balmer, but. Um, he did, he wrote a ton on his own as well. Um, one I reviewed years ago was called The Answer, which is, uh, about, it's another nuclear war story with angels, though. Uh, and it's short. Um, and then he did The End of the Dream, which is a, another dystopian, um, post-apocalyptic story. And he's sort of been forgotten, I guess, cause, I don't know, he's, he was, because he wasn't, um, and, you know, I don't think he was going to science fiction conventions with Isaac Asimov and, and, you know, that sort of thing. And he isn't like at the level of John Wyndham or, uh, someone else who, you know, in, in the same way that Earth Abides might have been forgotten because it's just some reason he, he's not well known, but he is a really good writer and the books are pretty good. So I'm, I'm interested in these. These are all released through Audible, it looks like, rather than... So maybe we'll see, one day we'll see a uh, uh, Brilliance version for people who are not on Audible. Yeah, maybe. maybe. But it, there's uh, it's not just his science fiction either. It looks like some of his his other stuff. So here, here's a short one. A tiny description. Um, the Murderer, Murderer Invisible. A brilliant scientist discovers a chemical formula to render matter invisible and utilizes his secret in an attempt to rule the world in this early SF classic from 1931. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah. It's like a rewrite of uh, The Invisible Man. Yeah, sounds good. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. 